Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. Last week, uh, if you were with us, well, actually, okay, I want to do a couple things and then I'll jump into this, if this is okay with you guys. First things, my parents are here. How exciting is that? So if you're looking for somewhere to blame this, apple does not fall far from the tree. They're pointing at each other if you can't see. Um, I know. I'm, I'm very thankful that they're here. Uh, they got to watch online last week too, and so excited that they get to be here with us. Um, second thing, I, I just want to acknowledge as we're coming in, we're going to talk about this, I think, a little bit. It has just been another heavy week in our nation, just in terms of gun violence, um, at this point, the, the names, there are so many names, you know, um, that it's hard. And so I just, I just want us to, I don't know, it can be overwhelming, right, the amount of violence. Uh, and, and as a result of the overwhelmingness of it, there can be a numbness to it. And I just say, like, we have to fight against that numbness. Um, I think an aspect of seeing life and life abundant is, is not allowing death to win, right? Not allowing death to numb us to the realities. Um, we have to continue to be a church that fights against violence, even if others are not, right? And so I just want to bring that up. We also had an incident at uh, one of the schools in our neighborhood at Uplift this morning, or not this morning, sorry, this week. Um, I just want to, like, the kids are doing okay, um, but we are just considering, like, what does it look like for us to be a, sh- a refuge, a shelter for the kids in our community, too. So if anyone has ideas, I'm open to it. Um, we're talking to school boards, things like that. I know Chris has already um, a- connected very well with McCutcheon. This was at Uplift. And so, um, you know, we just want to be a place. We're talking about, like, tutoring on Wednesdays, like, all anything we can think of. So um, whatever we can do to just, like, help kids walk through the realities of their lives, too, um, which are becoming even more complicated. Um, we want to want that to be the case. Okay. Those were my few things. Let's go ahead and jump back into the passage now. So if you were with us last week, or if you were not, I wanted to do a quick recap because I think it's going to be really, really important to what we're doing this morning. So last week, we did look only at Ephesians 4.1, and then 2 through 6 a little bit. Um, And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to sort of relook at 1 through 16, the whole picture, and going to dig in a little bit deeper, right? And so I wanted to recap, like, what was the essence of last week? There were sort of three points that I made. Um, The first point being, our obedience flows from our salvation, not vice versa, right? Like, we are not, uh, have to be good enough, and then God will enter into relationship with us. It's more of like, God saw us where we were, entered into a relationship with us, and as a result now, we can live as his children, right? That was point one. Uh, point two is the one we're going to look at a little bit more this morning. Uh, our, bo- our obedience is modeled after who God is, right? We don't just have this sort of like, God does not ask us to do what he has not already done is sort of the idea, right? Like God um, is a, a, a person who, who has particular characteristics, and we want to be people who model our lives after those characteristics. And then the third point was that we were not left alone to be obedient in our own strength. We were given the Holy Spirit, right? Which again, will come out a little bit this morning, but I just wanted to bring those up. Oh, I forgot. I have a little clicker now. Hello. Maybe. Hmm. This is embarrassing. Um, I, man, Chris and I tested this. Oh, no, I think 
You, okay. That's fine. We'll just have you do it this week if that's okay, Taryn. All right. Well, I tried. Um, we'll practice again a little bit more. Um, so I wanted to bring these up because we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to call us to a higher way of living this week. Just let's, let's, let's start with that up front, right? I'm going to call us to a higher way of living. We have to set the foundation that it is from our identity that that uh, is being called from, right? Not that I am like guilting you in or, sorry, but like you, sh- you should not should on yourself, right? Like the reality of the Christian walk is like we are living out of our identity. We are not just like you must be this in order to be accepted. Like you are already accepted. That's how we're going to live it. I, I wanted to say that because uh, I don't want us to get this wrong, right? as we re-enter into this. So, we're going to go ahead and jump into 1 through 16, um, and this is going to be a little bit different than my normal sermons. You know, I like to sign up, find a, sort of find the overarching theme and then dive into that. This is going to feel a little bit more verse-to-verse, so if, those, if uh, those of you are sitting in the room who really like to go verse-by-verse, congrats, that's what we're going to do. If you don't, I appreciate you uh, being here. Um, but we are going to look a little bit, uh, or we're going to dig pretty deeply into this. Uh, before I do that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get to the text, okay? Uh, Lord, just thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, um, both Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4. They're both great. Um, Lord, I just pray this morning that we can remember that our obedience flows from our salvation, not vice versa, uh, that we are already accepted as your sons, daughters, Lord, that you see us, you know us fully, you love us. Um, so, Lord, I pray that it is your glory this morning, not mine, your words that are remembered, not mine. Help me to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Yes, in the name we pray. Amen. Okay, back to the text. We're going to start back in verse 1, um, which you're like, you spent a lot of time on verse 1 last week. But there was one thing I did not say. So that verse, uh, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. One thing I did not hit on last week, that you there is a plural you, Okay. That's really important. We, in the English language, there's a lot of shortcomings of the English language, right? One of them is that we don't really use like a consistently plural you. You have to use context in order to see that that's a plural um, you being used, right? There is y'all, but I try that sometimes, and I just like feel like I'm an imposter. I don't know. Like, you'll, you'll say it? Well, I, oh, Paul did. Paul did. Paul did. You're right. And some translations even say y'all, but like, I'll be honest, anything to not be associated with Texas is good. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, is there anyone from Texas in this room? Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Texas is great. <laughs> with that being said, like I said, our you here is a plural you, which has significant implications, right? This is going to be abundantly clear by the end of this morning, I hope. But the reality is that the worthy life of a daughter or son in God is marked by how good a brother or sister you are, right? A worthy life of being a son or daughter of God is worked by how good a brother or sister you are. I want you to look at 1 John 4, 19 through 21, which says this pretty clearly. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have not seen, or whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have seen. And he has given us this as command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister, right? Says it pretty clearly. The Christian life is not an isolated life. The Christian life is one marked by radical love and care for those around you. 
I think sometimes we often define, like, good Christian by our personal piety, right? Like, how often are they in the Bible? Like, how, how much do they read? Are they in the dark who they are in the light, right? Like, are they the same person by themselves as they are with other people? And I think those are good things. Like, don't hear me. I actually think some of those things, like, help you to love one another, right? But if that's all you do, and it has zero impact on how you treat others, your definition of a good Christian is a bad one, right? I, okay, full disclosure, I think C.S. Lewis said this uh, in The Great Divorce, but I couldn't find it, um, and I didn't want to reread the whole book. So, hold this with a grain of salt. Also, it's not necessarily, like, inspired, but I think it's, like, an idea that kind of hit me hard. Um, Again, I think C.S. Lewis said this, but he postulates that there will be rows of houses in hell filled with people discussing theology. Like, the reality is, like, if your orthodoxy does not flow into orthopraxy, there is a level of not actually understanding and knowing God, right? Right thinking and private piety mean nothing when they aren't coupled with love of fellow people. Okay, now this should not surprise you based on what I just said, but Paul then goes to define the worthy life of you, the the communal you, in a way that considers the impact you have on other people, right? A life worthy of the gospel is defined by our interactions with one another. Last week, I very, very briefly dug into these, but there are a couple of phrases he uses here that I want to spend more time uh, going through each phrase, okay? So, what does he say? He says, with all humility and gentleness, these are the words that are defining a worthy life. With patience, bearing one another in love, and eager to maintain unity. You see, these words all have one thing in common, right? I just said it, but they deal with how we deal with one another, right? And so for the rest of our time, we're going to dig into each of these four phrases. First one, with all humility and gentleness. I want to look at a passage that uh, I bring up a lot, a lot of people on our stage bring up a lot, because I think it just is one that we hope marks our church, uh, and it's Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Uh, here, Jesus reference you'll see this, but Jesus references uh, humility and gentleness uh, as his own heart posture. Look at this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this is Jesus speaking, right? He calls himself gentle and humble in heart. And what does that gentleness and humility lead to? It leads leads to those who are weary and burdened receiving rest. It leads to a lighter yoke than the one offered by the world. Humility here is the capacity to think of others above yourself, right? Think of Philippians 2. Listening to others' hardships. And gentleness combined with humility is the capacity to handle those burdens that they share with you with care, right? To allow someone to experience the grace of God in how you experience the burdens they share with you, right? So a gentleness is an approach to what the, bur- the burdens that they share with you, right? I'll be honest, I think of a couple of p- people in particular in my life that sort of exhibit these at a really, really high level, And I can spend minutes with them, like seriously minutes, and it's just like things like melt off of me. I don't even know how to explain it, but it's like I'll be with someone for just a little bit, and it's all of a sudden as if like uh, I'm just like taking off the backpack. I'm taking off weights, right? And those weights are usually things that are impeding my relationship with God. 
And I want to be like that so badly, right? I want our church to be like this so badly. I think we can be like this at times. I've seen it. But imagine if we were known even more in the community for our gentleness and our humility, right? It can be really hard to live in Chicago sometimes, right? It can be an exhausting place. The city just is always moving. It's relentless. And I love this city, but, but it can be hard. And what if our church was known as a safe haven, a place to come in and be okay with not being okay, right? A place to lay down the bags and burdens that we are car- carrying that no one else knows about, a gentle and humble church. I, I, again, I think we, this marks us, but I want it for us even more. Next phrase, with patience. I do not want to talk about this one. Uh, like, this is the one where I'm just like, God, like, why did you include this in the spirit, or in the fruit of the spirit? Like, why is this included here? This is the one, I'll be honest, like, I really, really struggle with. I can feel it in my parenting. I can feel it. I felt it when I was working at Northwestern in my discipleship with different guys. I can feel it for myself. I'm just like, Jimmy, like, why don't you get it? Like, why can't you live better? Like, you know what I mean? And I just lose patience with myself lose patience with other people. It's, it's really, really hard. But what does this look like in God? Look at 2 Peter 3.9. Uh, Peter wrote this. There was some grumbling among the people about God's returning, right? Uh, he had talked about Jesus coming back a second time, and Jesus had not yet come back a second time. So Peter says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. You see, we have a loving and merciful God who despite our turning our backs on him was patient with us and extended grace that we might turn back to him, right? His patience toward us is a manifestation of his grace. And if he could be patient with me, why can't I be patient with others, right? I know the depths of my sin. I know the ways I have turned my back on my relationship with God and they are far deeper than anything anyone has ever done to me, right? How deep my sin goes, but God was patient with me, right? Next one, bearing with one another in love. Okay, there are way too many verses about God's love to choose from, right? So I just want to go back to the same passage we looked at already in 1 John 4 um, to sort of dig a little bit into what God's love looks like. It says this, dear friends, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Okay, what else, I mean, can be said about God's love, right? Not much. I mean, I I hope that you hear the love of God week by week in this space. Um, God loved us, so God became man and died in our place, right? God loved us, so God became the supply of his own demand. In the cross, we see that God loved us to death, right? And the passage says it so clearly. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love 
one another. God's love does not wait for the other side to love first. Therefore, our love for others ought not to wait until they deserve it, right? Because if God waited till we deserved it, he'd still be waiting, right? So we love first. Okay, final uh, phrase here, and you're like, man, Jimmy is like going through them, I think. I don't know. I don't know what time it is, but we're going to spend a little bit more time on this one, so I do apologize. Um, but I think this is really important to understand because the church has gotten this idea wrong a lot. Uh, I don't need to beat around the bush. What is the idea? Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, I'm going to look at this a little bit. So this is really, the idea here is unity, right? We're about to get to unity, but I want to look at the phrases that lead up to unity and are around it. Okay, being diligent. I want to take this opportunity to hit on something I hit on last week. Remember when I said part of the good news of the gospel is that we were not just left to our own power in order to live out the life that God called us to live, right? In other words, we are given the Holy Spirit to take steps of faith uh, and to be empowered to actually live that life out. Well, I know that that can be, we, as an American church, we often don't talk about the Spirit enough, I think, uh, and a lot of it can be misinterpreted or misunderstood. I think often what I've heard is that the Spirit is a feeling I get. And so if I, eventually I will feel like I uh, can be obedient or I can do what the Lord calls me to do. And I should, and then I should, I'll live rightly. But if I don't have it, I'll just chill, right? But the Spirit is not your feelings. Like, feelings are, are valid things, right? But feelings can lie to us sometimes or they're not always right. And the Spirit can work via your feelings. Like, I do not uh, fight against that. But relying on the Spirit is much more about faith than it is about just like following how we're feeling in the moment, right? In other words, moment by moment, we can pray to be empowered by the Spirit that already indwells in us, and we can trust that God hears that prayer. And then we can actually put forth effort. I know that's a scary word, but we can put forth effort in our sanctification, in our growth. Effort is not antithetical to the gospel, to Christian growth, as long as it's Spirit-powered, okay? I just wanted to say that. So diligence is a good thing. The, com uh, the text commands us to be diligent. So then, next part of that phrase, to preserve. Very quickly, the unity is something that already exists, right? It is not something that we have to come up with. Be, be diligent to preserve the unity, right? That means that we're already entering into something that's there. So we don't have to, like, think about it or create this sort of unity. The Spirit already brings unity. So then what does that unity look like? First clue we get is the phrase, in the bond of peace. We are bonded by peace. And this peace is not just an absence of war sort of peace, like calmness, but it's a shalom peace, which means wholeness. Okay? What does this look like? Lost my place. Peace is when everything uh, is in place and together, working as it ought. So one aspect of this unity is wholeness, mutually working together as a unit. Okay? And we'll get into that a little bit, what that looks like in a minute. But what else? Well, before I, I keep going, I, so we've sort of defined around the word unity, and we're going to dive into what unity looks like now. Um, I've done this before. I did this a couple months ago when I talked on unity, but I want to do it again because, uh, because of one thing. So we're going to look at what unity is not again, 
If you were here with us a few months ago, you already saw these. But the reality is, is I want to be cognizant of the way, in particular, white male pastors have utilized unity to sort of uh, preserve power structures, right? You're like, stay unified while I, like, abuse the church systems, things like that. And I, I just don't want that for our church, right? I have no interest in preserving power structures. And so I want to go through a couple of things that unity is not. Unity is not uniformity, okay? The kingdom of God is vast and different as it ought to be. Unity does not mean our worship or the way we live out our faith looks the same uh, from person to person, right? They should and will not. Unity is not, this, I already said this, but unquestioned power, right? This often looks like a high value on loyalty, but what loyalty really means is a discouragement from pushing back on or questioning leadership in the name of keeping peace or keeping unity. I wanted to say this one because I, I said this, I talked about this with like the questions with Jimmy, but I do not desire in any way to protect myself as the pastor of our church from any sort of questions or pushback in the direction of our church, right? I have no interest in that. I know our decisions as leadership team will not always be accepted by every single person, but that's okay. So if you have questions about why we do certain things, what we do, what, what we're preaching about, I would rather you ask me directly, ask us directly, than be afraid to rock the boat, right? This boat, we're steady, okay? You're not going to flip us. We're fine. Like, I, I love this community. I feel like we have a good thing going. So your questions are good things, right? I'm secure enough to field your questions. Church is much better done when it's done as a community that has bought in enough to make sure we are going in the right direction than an unquestioned leader making decisions by themselves. Just wanted to say that, right? And then unity, finally, is not always found in the middle. This is the most important one in our context because most calls for unity— from people in power is almost always a call for finding middle ground. But middle ground is not holy ground. Middle ground is not holy ground. Let me give you an example. Letter from Birmingham. I, this is an example I gave to you so I a long time ago, so I apologize, but I'm going to give it again. Letter from Birmingham jail. What was it a response to? Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, letter, right? Many moderate white pastors were writing to Dr. King saying they believed in what he was doing at the time, but they thought it was best to slow down and take it slow. Find some middle ground with the segregationists and Jim Crow apologists. Now, we know this is ridiculous, right? Like, what does middle ground with racists look like, right? What does middle ground with the KKK look like? That is not a thing that I have very much interest in, right? We have been, but had we been in the context of the time, I believe many of us might have thought similar things as the white moderate pastors. It is obvious into this situation that middle ground is not holy ground in this scenario, right? You can have unity and call people to a better ethic, a better way of life, better way of treating others. Middle ground is not holy ground when it comes to things like police brutality, school shootings, abusive leaders, right? Unity does not mean conceding the higher road, okay? So then... What is unity in the context of this passage? So we're going to take a few more minutes to discuss the passage to see what it has to talk, to talk about unity, and this is how we're going to wrap up. We just talked about the call for unity, and then we look at verses 7 through 10. Now, I'm not going to look at these. I know we didn't read them, but this is the passage where it's like, well, I'll just read a part of it. Um, 
what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is a very, like, it's just a little bit wordy, a little bit complicated in language. You can trust me now and then look it up yourself later, right? All he's saying in these verses is that the one from heaven, namely Jesus, came down to give gifts. Okay, that's all he's saying. What he's saying here is Jesus came to earth as a man and he gave gifts. What are those gifts? And then how do they relate to unity? Verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the people, to equip his people for works of service. So the gifts are the leaders who have giftings in these different areas, okay? Those are the gifts. The outcome of these gifts is to equip the people. And in the purpose of this gift, look at, uh, continue the verse in 12. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, right? The purpose of the gifts is so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity, right? So how does this work? Unity in the context of Ephesians 4 goes back to that bond of peace or wholeness. Wholeness is the body working as it ought to. The body is built up for good works of service, and then people serve in different areas in order that the whole body works in unity toward the knowledge of the Son of God. That was a lot of words. What I'm saying is unity is mutual sanctification. Unity is mutual growth, okay? And that mutual sanctification, that mutual growth is growing in understanding of Jesus and helping others to do the same. Uh, A couple of notes here on this. People will read verse 11 and be like, oh good, I don't have to do certain things because God is appointing the the preachers, the the evangelists, you know what I mean? But what it's actually saying is, is not that you don't do those things. It's that he appointed people to be stronger in those areas to equip the church to do those things. So this might be bad news for some of you, but you don't get a, a pass on some of these things, right? Just because it says that we have those people. Like maybe the evangelists are doing a little bit more evangelism than you are. It's like they're maybe full-time gig or something like that. But that doesn't mean that we get to skip out on some of these aspects. Does that make sense? Okay, and then another, a couple of verse, uh, notes on verses 14 through 16, and then we'll get to sort of how this works into unity. Verse 14 hits on the importance of our sanctification, right? It says that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Uh, the reality is just like, regardless of our circumstance, right, it's important to continue to grow. Therefore, unity in sanctification is really important for whatever life may throw at us, right? Verse 15 then gives us a really practical way this communal, this communal sanctification happens. It's speaking the truth in love. Now, I'll tell you, this, this one, I know I've talked for a long time, so I know some of you are checking out. I want you to hear this part, okay? So come back to me. We're good. Verse, verse 15, the idea of truth and love is really, really important to me. The longer you come to church here, the more you're going to hear me talk about being fully known and fully loved. I've said it almost every week, being fully known and fully loved. The idea is that God fully knows who we are, all of our shortcomings, all of the ways we fail, and yet God still loves us through his son, right? That is the idea of being fully known and fully loved. I think that speaking truth in love is a manifestation of that in community. In other words, we do not just ignore the sins in, within community, right? It's not like, like, I watch you wrong someone, and I'm just like, well, it's fine. God loves us. You know, that is cheap grace, 
right? That idea is not okay. The way it works is, it's like, you know, Kevin, I'm going to use you, sorry. He called me a name earlier, so I can use him. Um, no, he just, not a bad name, sorry. He just gave me a nickname. That was funny. We, we're not going to give context, sorry. But I'll be like, Kevin, Kevin, I, I can come to Kevin and be like, Kevin, you know I love you. You know I care for you. Like, you hurt Steve. I saw you hurt Steve, right? And I'm going to continue to love you, but we're going we're gonna to make this right, okay? I can't let you do that. That is speaking the truth in love, right? Truth is willing to acknowledge what happened. Love is extending grace and relationality in the context. And what has God done for us, right? Like, I know what you have done. It's not okay to hurt people. It's not okay the way you've lived. I love you, and I'm going to help you grow via the Holy Spirit, right? Does that make sense? Okay. And then verse 16, again, hits on the idea of the body working together. So to wrap up, this is, you know, it says, from him the whole body joined together by ligament grows and builds itself up. Uh, and this is sort of, again, unity in growth. So what I want to do is I want to read 1 Corinthians 12 for you. We're not going to read the whole passage, but we're going to read a lot of it. And I want you to just see, like, what, this is a, 1 Corinthians 12 is a little bit more explicit of a version of this verse here, okay? So I know I've thrown a lot of verses at you this morning, but I want to read this in or, and end and with this in order to really see, like, what does unity in the body look like? Yeah, I didn't put them on the slides, sorry. It's because it's really long, but I'm going to read it. Okay. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Uh, let me jump forward. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Th this part's really important. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Right? If one part is honored, Every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Do you see how beautiful this is? Every single one of us has purpose and a role in our body, in our specific church, right? Hear me when I say that we are more incomplete without you. You are valuable, and each one of us has the same value to that body, right? The ground is level at the foot of the cross, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So being on stage or up front is not more important than being in back running the sound, is not more important than making the coffee, is not more important than showing up on those Sundays where you don't feel like you can do it and just being where you're at, right? You are so, so important and valued in this space, and I hope you know that. True unity in Christ is this working together towards growing to be more like Jesus, right? 
Our unity is built around the person and work of Jesus, not some random arbitrary spot. Let us continue to seek that spot with Jesus together in gentleness, humility, patience, and love. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.